I'm not as puzzled as I used to be. I'm not as uncertain. I'm not as confused. I'm not baffled. Increasingly, what I find is I am perplexed. I like the word perplexed because it makes it sound like my problems are kind of a higher caliber of problems. It's not just uh, an everyday uh, uh, thing that I'm, I'm struggling to figure out. Uh, and it's not that I'm not very clever. It's that my problems are a higher caliber of problems. I have perplexing problems. I have dilemmas that I am perplexed by. So, so um, I am perplexed. And um, I, I find that I am perplexed a lot. I, I, I the, the total amount of Perplexity has not gone down, but I've come up with a better word for it. And the, the things that have made me perplexed, um, obviously, for the last year, we've been perplexed about the coronavirus pandemic and how we're responding to it. So there's been a lot of perplexity there. In, in my world, here in, in church world, the, the big area that, that has led to perplexity is, is uh, when and how we will reopen. Uh, we're kind of in the position of people in a movie where the, the airplane uh, engine quits working in mid-flight and we've got to restart it. We're kind of in that position. Can we do it or will the plane crash? Those are the kind of questions that we're thinking about. How do we actually go back to, um, to a regular church? What, what, what does the word regular mean in the context of the, the post-pandemic uh, world? And of course, when will all this happen? Uh, how how will the, the presence of the vaccines and then also these new variants that are being discovered, how will all this uh, impact the timetable? So that's that's the kind of questions we're dealing with in, in church world. And of course, we some of those uh, are part of our personal uh, perplexity as well. We're, we're making travel plans, but should we? We've, we've canceled a couple of uh, travel plans and we're still trying to figure out uh, things about timing of those and what we'll have to do, not just for the trip itself, but if we've got to um, isolate afterwards. There's all these questions that come with travel nowadays, and maybe you've struggled with some of those questions yourself. Maybe you're planning on a vacation or you wanted to go visit family or somebody, and you had to reschedule that or, and then, and then re-reschedule it and so forth. Maybe you've had the same kind of perplexity as a result of our uh, a coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, and, and maybe for you it's not travel, maybe it's a medical thing, that there's some kind of a procedure that you were planning to get done and then you decided you couldn't and then, and then you know, because it's a medical thing, you decided you really needed to and you had to make all kinds of uh, changes in the ways you were planning to do that. So, so there's a lot of perplexity that have come out of the, the, the pandemic. But then there's the everyday perplexity. People, people perplex me because we're not transparent. I don't know why you do the things that you do. And of course, I realize you don't know why I do the things I do. And so the only way we can solve that is by having a conversation. And oftentimes we don't do those. And so you're just puzzling to me. You, you perplex me. So we have those everyday things that, that come from living in a world with other people. And then there's technology. Technology is puzzling. And, and I went to a technical school. So, um, Technology is increasingly puzzling, and the rate at which it puzzles us is quicker and quicker. It used to be we'd ask questions about, you know, where am I going to get money to save, and, and how much should I save? Um, nowadays, we have questions like, is there a safe way to save? Maybe you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the business with uh, uh, GameStop, and how uh, a group of pranksters on the internet brought a major hedge fund to its knees simply by uh, by knowing more about short selling than they are supposed to know. Now, I don't know short selling. I don't ha- claim to have any expertise in that. 
And my guess is there's some people in hedge funds who are thinking the same thing. I don't understand short selling as well as I thought I did. Um, I hope so. But it raises questions for us normies, uh, you know, people who, who just are trying to figure out to save money. Should I put it in a CD maybe? There's no interest, but at least, you know, maybe it won't come down with the hedge fund or whatever. So we have questions like this. Should we have a 401k? Should we buy Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? We, we have increasing numbers of questions that, that perplex us because the, the pace of change is always quickening. So we have all these sorts of questions. Um, and and the result is we are perplexed a lot. And the good news is we're not the first people ever to be perplexed. And we're not the first people to figure out what they can do in the face of perplexity. We're going to read about somebody today who gets, who gets an answer to that part of his problem um, in, in the, the New Testament um, biography of Jesus called Mark. So we're going to, we're going to read about that. But I have, to, I have to warn you ahead of time before you get invested in this, this is something that only works for, for Christians, only for people who are following Jesus. If you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, you're, you're welcome to continue listening, but I'm, I'm telling you up front, this won't be as effective for you as it will be for other people, so people who, who do follow Jesus. So this is really kind of an in-house kind of thing aimed for other Christians. So uh, you're welcome again to, to listen in, and maybe that'll help you say, you know, I'm glad I'm not a Christian, I can never do that. Or maybe you'll say, maybe I should consider that. Maybe that's something I need to think about. So uh, you're welcome, but, but this is aimed at Christians. So um, it, is, it is the story in the, um, in the biography of Mark called the, the Transfiguration. If you've got, if you've got a, a, a Bible that has headings above the, the different paragraphs and so forth, it may say the word transfiguration. And transfiguration is a word we don't use except in a, in a church context, at least I've never used it except in a church con- context. And what it, what it comes from is the Latin word that literally translates metamorphosis. And metamorphosis is the, is the language in the original, uh, in the original language of the Bible, metamorphosis is the word that, that appears in, in our um, reading today. Uh, but uh, for us today, I think uh, maybe the reason we don't use that word is because it conjures up, you know, some elementary school lesson about butterflies and caterpillars and so forth. So, so um, we don't know exactly what was being described. It's just, it's just presented as if we would understand what, would, what that would mean. But um, I don't think really the, the, the metamorphosis, the transfiguration, is really the point of the story. There's, there's no explanation. It's just simply presented. You know, we can imagine the disciples walking down afterwards and saying, well, that happened. But um, there's no explanation. Sometimes there are explanations. Sometimes we read in the New Testament, uh, it'll say, uh, Jesus did this for the following reason. And it'll explain, it'll give us some explanation that this was so a prophecy could be fulfilled. Or, or maybe Jesus himself will explain something. He'll say, did you understand the parable I was, I was telling you earlier? And, and they say, not a clue. And Jesus says, well, the, the weeds are like this and, the, you know, and so forth. And he'll explain, you know, the, the farmer was doing what, right? So sometimes there's explanation, but there's none of that in this passage today. There's no explanation about it. Uh, it only happens the one time that if we read the, the New Testament of biographies of Jesus, we, we, we can find that Jesus did a lot of things that were puzzling, but he did them more often than, than once, whereas this only happens the one time. Jesus actually raised more people from the dead than he, um, than he was, than the number of times he was transfigured. So it only happens the one time, and um, only three of his disciples saw it. So he didn't take the, the, the whole group up the mountain with him, but only that inner group of Peter, James, and John. So for a lot of reasons, we can say, well, 
the transfiguration happened, but I don't think that's the purpose. I don't think we're supposed to learn anything new about Jesus from the transfiguration in the sense of, of we, we, we have a better insight into who Jesus is and what he was because of the, the, um, the transfiguration. As much as the transfiguration is a pointer telling us, hey, pay attention, something, something important is happening right now. I think of the transfiguration as kind of like the, the lights on my car's dashboard, that when this light comes on, that means I need to be paying attention because something's going to happen to my tires or my engine or whatever. That I think of the transfiguration in that light. It's, it's, it's telling me to, to pay attention to what's going on. So, um, so what is going on? Well, we read, um, we read six days later... Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. Six days later than what? What, what happened beforehand? And actually, that's helpful because there's a lot of context that will help us to understand uh, who's puzzled and why. And the answer is, uh, Peter certainly is puzzled. I imagine that James and John are puzzled, but we don't hear anything about them in this lesson except that they were there. So, um, so if we focus in on Peter, we can imagine how puzzled he would have been. He, he would be puzzled from things that happened just in the previous chapter, the, the six days earlier. Uh, we read in, in chapter 8, we read that Jesus has fed a multitude, that they were in the wilderness, someplace without farms and, and you know, no grocery stores either. But um, somehow Jesus fed this crowd of several thousand people uh, with just a handful of food to begin with. Somehow he miraculously multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed this multitude. Um, sorry, uh, just loaves, no fishes. That's a different multitude with the fishes. So, so Jesus fed this multitude. And we can imagine that would have been puzzling. If you were standing there, if you were Peter or, or James and John, and you watched that and you would have gone, what just happened? How did all these people get fed when we started with a handful of loaves? How, how could that possibly have occurred. So they'd be puzzled about that. And then um, Jesus, um, Jesus heals a blind man. There's a blind man and Jesus restores his sight. And again, that would be something where Peter and James and John would have gone, how did that happen? What, what just occurred there? How could Jesus have possibly done that? So they would be puzzled about how would that have happened? And then that would lead to the question, and what am I doing here? What, you know, I can't heal blind people. I can't, I can't feed a multitude. Why am I even here? What, what purpose does Jesus have in including me in this great holy work he's doing? So we can imagine that, that Peter is very puzzled. And um, I like to think that Peter says to himself, well, I'm here to represent the common man. I'm, I'm the normie. I'm the person who's here so Jesus can, can keep his finger on the pulse of, of the, the, the crowd. And um, the reason I think that is because Peter actually, uh, Jesus actually asks his disciples some questions. And in the same chapter, um, uh, Jesus and his disciples were on their way to, to this place. And he says, who do people say I am? What's the word in the street? What are the normies saying? And that's where Peter chimes in and the other disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say one of the other prophets. So, so maybe Peter comforts himself in saying, look, I don't understand how Jesus is doing this. I don't really even understand why I'm here, but maybe the reason I'm here is because I'm the, I'm the normie. And that, that could be the case. But Jesus goes on to ask Peter, he says, he says, who do you say I am? Who, who do you? Forget the, forget the others. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, I've been watching you. I've figured this out. You are, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that God promised to send, a, 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 the one we've been waiting for for centuries. And Jesus says, 
don't tell anyone. And how puzzling that must have been, how, how perplexing that must have been for Peter to be told the one that everybody's been waiting for, the one that God promised and we've been waiting for centuries for him to arrive, and you're telling us to keep it a secret? Why? So, so Peter would be puzzled about that. And then as soon as he finishes saying that, Jesus says, says the Son of Man, that, that when I get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, be killed, and then after three days be raised from the dead. All very puzzling. And Peter, Peter says, don't, don't tell them that. Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him began to correct him. So, so Peter says that you've got that all wrong because you are the Holy One. You are the Messiah. You are the, the guy who can change bread, who can, who can multiply bread. You're the one who can restore sight to the blind. You don't have to be killed. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. So then he says, uh, then, then Jesus kind of adds some more perplexity. If that wasn't enough, he doesn't simply say the, the Messiah, who we've been waiting for for all this time, has to die. He goes on and says, and so do you. You need to pick up your cross daily. If you would follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And all who want to save their lives lose them, but all who, want to, uh, all who lose their lives because of me and the good news will save them. Why would people um, lo- gain the whole world but lose their lives? Jesus is saying, he's just dropping these bombs on them, saying, Here, here's something for you to chew on. And, and they're going, but wait, you know, the whole point of a cross is you die. You, you can't pick it up daily. You can't, you know, have a cross and follow you daily if you're dying on a cross. What you're saying, Jesus, is perplexing. It is baffling. It's confusing. And that's what Mark is referring to, that whole chapter of confusing things when he says six days later. Six days later, these guys are still chewing on all the things that Jesus has given them to puzzle over. And we can imagine they're puzzling all the way up to the top of the mountain. Jesus says, let's, let's go up there and up they go. So they get to the top of the mountain and guess what? More puzzling things await them. So they get to the top of the mountain and it says Jesus is transfigured. Um, he was trans- transformed in front of them and his clothes were amazingly bright brighter than if they had been bleached white. So uh, we don't know exactly what that means. Certainly brighter than anybody in the first century would have been able to get them, and maybe brighter than any human process could have made them. So, so he, is, he is transformed into this uh, figure that certainly reminds us of the depictions of angels, but we don't know exactly what is meant because it doesn't tell us what, what is the significance of this transfiguration. But then it goes on and says, Elijah and Moses appeared, and we're talking with Jesus. Speaking of Elijah, we were just talking about Elijah in the last chapter, and here he is talking with Jesus. And I think Peter says, wait a minute, I've got an idea. Jesus is afraid that when he gets to Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. But Moses and Elijah probably thought that the same thing, and God protected them. When Elijah confronted uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, he would have been it would have been reasonable to be afraid, but God protected him. God protected him from both the king and the queen, that, that he wasn't killed. And in fact, he lived until the day that God took him up to heaven in a whirlwind. You know, you can confront a king and not be, not be killed over it. And look at Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Let the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, Hebrew slaves, let them go with no cost. In fact, you pay the, you pay the, the price and we're going to leave and you're going to be deprived of all your slaves. 
we can imagine Moses, uh, Moses would have had a lot of fear. In fact, we read in the, the book of Exodus, Moses was afraid. Why should I do that? What will happen if I do? And God says, I'll protect you. And so Peter probably is, is kind of doing the math in his head, and he says, wait a minute, if I can just get these guys to talk some sense into Jesus, then he can kind of buck up and not be so, so afraid of what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. So he says, here's an idea. I will build some booths. He says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. So he says, here's the solution. I can, I can get these guys to hang out, and they can talk some sense into you. If anybody can talk some sense into you, Jesus, it's Moses and Elijah. So, so that's the place that I imagine Peter's at right now. But we do know he's terrified, and he's about to get more terrified, because then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice spoke from the cloud. Uh, scholars tell us that this is characteristic of the, of the Shekinah glory of God, that, that God's glory fills heaven, heaven and earth, that God is, 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 um, has glorified the world with his presence, um, but in a, in a diffuse way. We don't, we're not aware of it. But from time to time, throughout the Hebrew scriptures especially, we see the way that God appears in a way that is more, more focused, and people are better able to be aware of his presence and through this Shekinah glory, this cloud, in, in the, the, the story of the Exodus, we read that after Moses got out of Egypt with the, with the Hebrews, it, they followed the, the, the pillar of cloud through the wilderness for 40 years. So, so this idea of the cloud, this, this cloud with the voice of God in it, um, surrounds them. And, and if they were terrified before it arrived, before the cloud showed up, we can imagine right now they are, they are petrified. The, the hair on their arms is standing up and... The voice says this. The voice says, This is my son whom I dearly love. He says, Peter, James, John, as much as I loved Moses, and as effective as a servant as he was, as much as I loved Elijah, and for all the good things that Elijah did, this is my son. I love him even more. He's not going to get killed because I don't care for him and I'm not going to, to uh, uh, that, that I, I, I worry less about him than I did Moses or Elijah. That's not the reason he's going to die. He says, I love him. He is my son. And it is because of that that you need to listen to him. He says, listen to him. He tells them, that they're, they're, Jesus is, is the place they need to turn, that, that Jesus will not, will not um, contradict anything that God spoke through Moses or through Elijah, but Jesus will show it in a new light, that they will understand it more completely in light of what Jesus does and says. So, that, so God tells them, speaking through this cloud, God says, listen to him. And then that's it. The we, don't, we don't hear about the cloud leaving, but presumably it does. But suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. That's it. The transfiguration is over. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus starts giving them more things to be puzzled about. He says, don't tell anyone what they'd seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. Jesus goes back to puzzling them. So it's not like Peter got all of his questions answered, but he knows what to do. He is going to continue to have puzzles. He still doesn't know why the Messiah should be kept a secret. He doesn't know 
why somebody that God loves more than Moses and Elijah has to die when they didn't have to die. He's got all kinds of puzzles. Why shouldn't I tell anyone this amazing thing that's happened with the transfiguration? He's got puzzles, but he knows what to do. That in the face of all of the perplexity of his life, the perplexity of what it means to be a Jesus follower, he has clarity about one thing, and that is to listen to Jesus. That, that in the face of these problems, he knows he can listen to Jesus and that God will, will be satisfied if he simply listens to Jesus. So, that's what he does. He's not great at it, and we read the rest of the story. We see from time to time he quits listening to Jesus, but he knows what he should do. And that is the lesson for us, too. That in the face of all of our puzzles, the, the coronavirus and, and all the other things that we worry about, the solution for us, or the, the direction that the solution lies, is to listen to Jesus. And that's why I said this is really a, a lesson for Christians. If you're not a Christ follower, you're not going to be able to listen to Jesus the same way. You can read the Bible, but you're not going to read it the way a Christian reads it. Uh, Christians read the Bible prayerfully. We, we pray in a way that, that expects God to, to do something. That In the same way we might pray for God to, to bring healing to a situation, we, when, when we pray to God, help me to understand your will for my life, we we assume that we're going to have an answer, so we listen. We, we bring a notepad so we can hear what God has to say. And, and maybe God will, will speak audibly. I mean, he did in the cloud, but, but more often than not, Jesus told us that, that we, would be, um, we would hear from him by means of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. That we, we hear the inward witness of the, of the Holy Spirit answering our questions, telling us what we need to do acting as the one we need to listen to. So we can, we can listen to, to Jesus by listening to his Holy Spirit when we pray or when we read the Bible, but we can also listen to, to Jesus by bouncing our ideas off other Christians. When we read the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, we see that the disciples are doing this all the time. Jesus will be walking down the road with his disciples and he'll, he'll drop some bomb and, and the disciples will be uh, discussing it among themselves. They'll be saying, wait, did, did he just say the thing I... Did that... It sounded to me like he said... And they'll be discussing these things. And we can do the same thing. We can discuss things with other Christians. We can say, here's what I think I'm hearing from God. Here's the, the, the question I've been dealing with. And here's the way I think God is answering it. What do you think about that? Does that make sense in light of what you know about Jesus? Does that sound like I'm, I'm hearing what Jesus is saying? We can do the same thing. We can do it not just with, with Christians who are around us, but we can do it with Christians down through the centuries, people who lived centuries before. We can listen to people, the, the great saints of the church, people like John Wesley and, and John Calvin. We can listen to St. Augustine and St. Um, uh, Thomas. We can listen to people who who have reflected on what it means to listen to Jesus, and we can, we can bounce our ideas off theirs. Because this world will continue to be perplexing. There will be, I don't know when and if the coronavirus will ever be something we, we can say we emerged from. I, I, I really don't know the answer to that question. I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed by that question. But even if we do, there will still be the everyday perplexities of dealing with other people. There will be the perplexities of a changing world where, where everything always seems to be up in the air. There will be perplexity. But in the face of the perplexity and the confusion of this world, we can listen to Jesus. We can listen to Jesus with other Christians. We can listen to Jesus 
by reading the, the scriptures prayerfully and we can pray and ask for God's insight to illuminate our hearts as we listen to Jesus. The key thing in the face of perplexity is to listen to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much for us to puzzle over in, in this passage as well as in our, in our everyday lives. What, what was the significance of this transfiguration? What did it even look like? There are so many questions we have, but the thing you have given us clarity on is that we should turn to Jesus and we should listen to him. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that. Um, when, when it is easy for us to listen to other voices and, frankly, to, to indulge our own appetites, Lord, we pray that you would help us instead to listen to Jesus. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.